0: Environment Today is a podcast about the current state of our planet's environment and ways to contribute to the health and prosperity of our ecosystem. Content presented by Amy and James Sharp. I'm James Sharp.
1: And I'm Amy Sharp.
0: All information being discussed today is from the report titled, Global Warming of 1.5 Degrees Celsius. An IPCC special report on the impacts of global warming of 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels and related global greenhouse gas emission pathways in the context of strengthening the global response to the threat of climate change, sustainable development, and efforts to eradicate poverty.
1: Environment Today's podcast will bring this and other reports to you every two weeks putting these details into layman's terms as much as possible. You will receive a great deal more information than you would hear or read in short blurbs of daily news briefings. We want to bring you all the key facts in detail and then provide real-life solutions that you can implement after hearing the facts of each report. In this report, more than 6,000 scientific references have been cited, 91 authors from the scientific community, And review editors from 40 countries prepared this IPCC report in response to an invitation from the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, or the UNFCCC, when it adopted the Paris Agreement in 2015. This is the first special report from a series that will be created by the IPCC and was released October 8, 2018. The IPCC is an intergovernmental panel on climate change that is part of the United Nations body and is solely tasked with assessing the science related to climate change. This week's podcast will be covering Chapter 3 as a continuation of this IPCC special report series that has one major goal and theme throughout this report, to keep global warming from increasing by 1.5 degrees Celsius from the pre-industrial levels that we saw in years 1850 to 1900. Chapter 3 explores observed impacts and projected risks to a range of natural and human systems, with a focus on how risk levels change from 1.5 degrees Celsius to 2 degrees Celsius of global warming. This chapter also revisits major categories of risk and reasons for concern, based on the assessment of new knowledge that has become available since the IPCC's fifth assessment report published back in 2014. As we've noted many times through the first two chapters of this report, the global climate has changed relative to the pre-industrial period, and there are multiple lines of evidence showing that these changes have had impacts on organisms and ecosystems, as well as human systems and well-being. Changes include increases in both land and ocean temperatures, as well as more frequent heat waves in most land regions. There is also high confidence that global warming has resulted in an increase in the frequency and duration of marine heat waves. Further, there is substantial evidence that human-induced global warming has led to an increase in the frequency, intensity, and amount of of heavy precipitation events at the global scale, as well as an increased risk of drought in the Mediterranean region.
0: Definition. According to MarineHeatWaves.org, a marine heat wave is defined as when seawater temperatures exceed a seasonally varying threshold, usually the 90th percentile, for at least five consecutive days, Marine heat waves have the potential to devastate marine ecosystems and cause economic losses in fisheries, aquaculture, and ecotourism industries. However, their effects are often hidden from view under the waves until it is too late.
1: There is no single 1.5 degrees Celsius warmer world. In addition to the overall increase in Global Mean Surface Temperature, or GMST, it is important to consider the size and duration of potential overshoots in temperature. Overshooting by 1.5 degrees Celsius poses large risks for natural and human systems, especially if the temperature at peak warming is high, because some risks may be long-lasting and irreversible such as the loss of ecosystems. If overshoot is to be minimized, the remaining equivalent CO2 budget available for emissions is very small, which implies that large, immediate, and unprecedented global efforts to mitigate greenhouse gases are required. We talked about the CO2 budget available for emissions in detail in our last podcast. Large, robust, and widespread differences are expected for temperature extremes in various regions of the world. During the warm season, the strongest warming is expected to occur at mid-latitude regions by up to two times more than the 1.5 degrees Celsius increase. During the cold season, high-latitude regions can expect to see warming increases of up to three times the 1.5 degrees Celsius increase. The strongest warming of hot extremes is projected to occur in Central and Eastern North America, Central and Southern Europe, the Mediterranean region, including Southern Europe, Northern Africa, and the Near East, Western and Central Asia, and Southern Africa. The number of exceptionally hot days are expected to increase the most in the tropics where interannual temperature variability is lowest. Extreme heat waves are thus projected to emerge earliest in these regions, and they are expected to already become widespread there at 1.5 degrees Celsius global warming. Limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius instead of 2 degrees Celsius could result in around 420 million fewer people being frequently exposed to extreme heat waves, and about 65 million fewer people being exposed to exceptional heat waves, assuming constant vulnerability.
0: According to the World Meteorological Organization at WMO.int, intensity, frequency, duration, timing, and spatial extent mark the differences in a heat wave's index such as severe, extreme, or exceptional heat waves. What can we expect if global temperatures rise to 2 degrees Celsius versus the 1.5 degrees Celsius that this report is focused on?
1: Robust global differences in temperature means and extremes are expected if global warming reaches 1.5 degrees Celsius versus 2 degrees Celsius above the pre-industrial levels. For oceans, regional surface temperature means and extremes are projected to be higher at 2 degrees Celsius compared to 1.5 degrees Celsius of global warming. Temperature means and extremes are also projected to be higher at 2 degrees Celsius compared to one and a half degrees Celsius in most land regions, with increases being two to three times greater than the increases in temperatures projected for some regions. Robust increases in temperature means and extremes are also projected at one and a half degrees Celsius compared to present day values. In a best case, worst case scenario, we can see that ranges in various regions can be dramatically different than the 1.5 degrees Celsius or 2 degrees Celsius global increases above pre-industrial levels. In Central North America, the 1.5 degrees Celsius global increase can mean something much different for this region. Warming for Central North America at the 1.5 degrees Celsius level is expected to be a best-case increase of 2.65 degrees Celsius with a worst-case increase of 3.11 degrees Celsius. If we look at the 2 degrees Celsius global average increase, this same region could expect to see 3.18 degrees Celsius best-case and 4.06 degrees Celsius worst case temperature increases. In the Arctic, the 1.5 degrees Celsius global increase can also mean something much different for this region. Warming for the Arctic at the 1.5 degrees Celsius level is expected to be a best case increase of 4.93 degrees Celsius, with a worst case increase of 6.2 degrees Celsius. If we look at the two degrees Celsius global average increase, this same region could expect to see 6.24 degrees Celsius best case and 7.69 degrees Celsius or an almost eight degrees Celsius worst case temperature increase. The temperature spreads being noted can vary higher or lower due to both modeling uncertainty and internal climate variability. While the temperature ranges can vary greatly based upon region, this fact also highlights risks to certain regions that can be avoided with near certainty in a 1.5 degrees Celsius warmer world compared to 2 degrees Celsius of global warming. For example, an 8 degrees Celsius warming of cold extremes in the Arctic is not reached at a 1.5 degrees Celsius of global warming in climate modeling but could happen at two degrees Celsius of global warming. Impacts from an overshooting of the one and a half degrees Celsius warming point could be larger than impacts from a stabilization pathway, which keeps us from reaching that level. The size and duration of an overshoot would also have consequences for the impacts the world experiences. For instance, Pathways that overshoot one and a half degrees Celsius run a greater risk of passing through tipping points, thresholds beyond which certain impacts can no longer be avoided, even if temperatures are brought back down later on. The collapse of the Greenland and Antarctic ice sheets on the timescale of centuries and millennia is one example of a tipping point. For the remainder of this podcast, I will cover the ramifications of real-world scenarios that we may face in the future that have been portrayed in this Chapter 3 of the IPCC Report.
0: These scenarios cover three possibilities. The first is that we take action as a global community right away and the world's countries take rapid steps to mitigate further global warming. The second scenario is a mid-case scenario, where delayed action brings an overshoot of the 1.5 degree Celsius goal. The third scenario is worst case, where uncoordinated and delayed actions occurring late in the 21st century lead to a significant overshoot of the 1.5 degree Celsius maximum goal.
1: Scenario 1. Best Case In 2020, strong participation and support from the Paris Agreement and its ambitious goals for reducing CO2 emissions by an almost unanimous international community led to a time frame for net zero emissions that is compatible with halting global warming at 1.5 degrees Celsius by 2100. There is strong participation in all major world regions at the national, state, and city levels. Transport is strongly decarbonized through a shift to electric vehicles, with more cars with electric than combustion engines being sold by 2025. Several industry-sized plants for carbon capture and storage are installed and tested in the 2020s. Competition for land between bioenergy cropping, food production, and biodiversity conservation is minimized by sourcing bioenergy for carbon capture and storage from agricultural wastes, algae, and kelp farms. Agriculture is intensified in countries with coordinated planning associated with a drastic decrease in food waste. This leaves many natural ecosystems relatively intact, supporting continued provision of most ecosystem services although relocation of species toward higher latitudes and elevation still results in changes in local biodiversity in many regions, particularly in mountain, tropical, coastal, and arctic ecosystems. Adaptive measures, such as the establishment of corridors for the movement of species and parts of ecosystems, becomes a central practice within conservation management. The movement of species presents new challenges for resource management as novel or human-created ecosystems, as well as pests and disease, increase. Crops are grown on marginal land, no-till agriculture is deployed, and large areas are reforested with native trees. Societal preference for healthy diets reduces meat consumption and associated greenhouse gas emissions. By 2100, global mean temperature is on average a half degree Celsius warmer than it was in 2018. Only a minor temperature overshoot occurs during the century. In mid-latitudes, frequent hot summers and precipitation events tend to be more intense. Coastal communities struggle with increased inundation associated with rising sea levels and more frequent and intense heavy rainfall, and some respond by moving, in many cases with consequences for urban areas. In the tropics, in particular in megacities, there are frequent deadly heat waves whose risks are reduced by proactive adaptation, overlaid on a suite of development challenges and limits in disaster risk management. Glaciers' extent decreases in most mountainous areas, Reduced Arctic sea ice opens up new shipping lanes and commercial corridors. Small island developing states as well as coastal and low-lying areas have faced significant changes, but have largely persisted in most regions. The Mediterranean area becomes drier, and irrigation of crops expands, drawing the water table down in many areas. The Amazon is reasonably well-preserved, through avoided risk of droughts and reduced deforestation, and the Forest Services are working with the pattern observed at the beginning of the 21st century. While some climate hazards become more frequent, timely adaptation measures help reduce the associated risks for most. Although poor and disadvantaged groups continue to experience high climate risks to their livelihoods and well-being, Summer sea ice has not completely disappeared from the Arctic and coral reefs, having been driven to a low level, 10 to 30% of levels in 2018, have partially recovered by 2100 after extensive dieback. The Earth system, while warmer, is still recognizable compared to the 2000s, and no major tipping points are reached. Crop yields remain relatively stable. Aggregate economic damage of climate change impacts is relatively small, although there are some local losses associated with extreme weather events. Human well-being remains overall similar to that in 2020. Scenario 2. Mid-Case Scenario The international community continues to largely support the Paris Agreement and agrees in 2020 on reduction targets for CO2 emissions and timeframes for net zero emissions. However, these targets are not ambitious enough to reach stabilization at 2 degrees Celsius of warming, let alone 1.5 degrees Celsius. In the 2020s, internal climate variability leads to higher warming than projected, in a reverse development to what happened in the so-called hiatus period of the 2000s. Temperatures are regularly above 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming, although radiative forcing is consistent with a warming of 1.2 degrees Celsius or 1.3 degrees Celsius. Deadly heat waves in major cities, Chicago, Kolkata, Beijing, Karachi, Sao Paulo. Droughts in southern Europe, southern Africa, and the Amazon region, and major flooding in Asia, all intensified by the global and regional warming, lead to increasing levels of public unrest and political destabilization. An emergency global summit in 2025 moves to much more ambitious climate targets. Costs for rapidly phasing out fossil fuel use and infrastructure while rapidly expanding renewables to reduce emissions are much higher than in Scenario 1, owing to a failure to support economic measures to drive the transition. Disruptive technologies become crucial to face up to the adaptation measures needed. Temperature peaks at 2 degrees Celsius of warming by the middle of the century before decreasing again Owing to intensive implementation of bioenergy plants with carbon capture and storage without efforts to minimize the land and water footprint of bioenergy production. Reaching 2 degrees Celsius of warming for several decades eliminates or severely damages key ecosystems, such as coral reefs and tropical forests. The elimination of coral reef ecosystems and the deterioration of their calcified frameworks, as well as serious losses of coastal ecosystems such as mangrove forests and seagrass beds, leads to much reduced levels of coastal defense from storms, winds, and waves. These changes increase the vulnerability and risks facing communities in tropical and subtropical regions, with consequences for many coastal communities. These impacts are being amplified by steadily rising sea levels and intensifying storms. The intensive area required for the production of bioenergy, combined with increasing water stress, puts pressure on food prices, driving elevated rates of food insecurity, hunger, and poverty. Crop yields decline significantly in the tropics, leading to prolonged famines in some African countries. Food trumps environment in terms of importance in most countries, with the result that natural ecosystems decrease in abundance owing to climate change and land use change. The ability to implement adaptive action to prevent the loss of ecosystems is hindered under the circumstances and is consequently minimal. Many natural ecosystems, in particular in the Mediterranean, are lost, Because of the combined effects of climate change and land use change, and extinction rates increase greatly. By 2100, warming has decreased, but is still stronger than 1.5 degrees Celsius, and the yields of some tropical crops are recovering. Several of the remaining natural ecosystems experience irreversible climate change-related damages, whilst others have been lost to land use change with very rapid increases in the rate of species extinctions. Migration, forced displacement, and loss of identity are extensive in some countries, reversing some achievements in sustainable development and human security. Aggregate economic impacts of climate change damage are small, but the loss in ecosystem services creates large economic losses. The health and well-being of people generally decrease from 2020, while the levels of poverty and disadvantage increase considerably. Mm -hmm. Scenario 3. Worst Case In 2020, despite past pledges, the international support for the Paris Agreement starts to wane. In the years that follow, CO2 emissions are reduced at the local and national level, but efforts are limited and not always successful. Radiative forcing increases, and due to chance, the most extreme events tend to happen in less populated regions and thus do not increase global concerns. Nonetheless, there are more frequent heat waves in several cities and less snow in mountain resorts in the Alps, Rockies, and Andes. Global warming of one and a half degrees Celsius is reached by 2030, but no major changes in policies occur. Starting with an intense El Niño, La Niña phase in the 2030s, several catastrophic years occur while global warming starts to approach two degrees Celsius. There are major heat waves on all continents with deadly consequences in tropical regions and Asian megacities especially for those ill-equipped for protecting themselves and their communities from the effects of extreme temperatures. Droughts occur in regions bordering the Mediterranean Sea, Central North America, the Amazon region, and Southern Australia, some of which are due to natural variability and others to enhanced greenhouse gas forcing. Intense flooding occurs in high-latitude and tropical regions, in particular in Asia, following increases in heavy precipitation events. Major ecosystems, coral reefs, wetlands, forests, are destroyed over that period with massive disruption to local livelihoods. An unprecedented drought leads to large impacts on the Amazon rainforest, which is also affected by deforestation. A hurricane with intense rainfall and associated with high storm surges destroys a large part of Miami. A two-year drought in the Great Plains in the USA and a concomitant drought in Eastern Europe and Russia decrease global crop production, resulting in major increases in food prices and eroding food security. Poverty levels increase to a very large scale, and the risk and incidence of starvation increase considerably as food stores dwindle in most countries, human health suffers. There are high levels of public unrest and political destabilization due to the increasing climatic pressures, resulting in some countries becoming dysfunctional. The main countries responsible for the CO2 emissions design rapidly conceived mitigation plans and try to install plants for carbon capture and storage, in some cases without sufficient prior testing. Massive investments in a renewable energy often happen too late and are uncoordinated. Energy prices soar as a result of the high demand and lack of infrastructure. In some cases, demand cannot be met, leading to further delays. Some countries propose to consider sulfate aerosol-based solar radiation modification, or SRM. However, intensive international negotiations on the topic take substantial time and are inconclusive because of overwhelming concerns about potential impacts on monsoon rainfall and risks in case of termination. Global and regional temperatures continue to increase strongly while mitigation solutions are being developed and implemented. Global mean warming reaches 3 degrees Celsius by 2100 but is not yet stabilized despite major decreases in yearly CO2 emissions, as a net-zero CO2 emissions budget could not yet be achieved and because of the long lifetime of CO2 concentrations. The world as it was in 2020 is no longer recognizable, with decreasing life expectancy, reduced outdoor labor productivity, and lower quality of life in many regions because of too frequent heat waves and other climate extremes. Droughts and stress on water resources renders agriculture economically unviable in some regions and contributes to increases in poverty. Progress on the Sustainable Development Goals is largely undone and poverty rates reach new highs. Major conflicts take place. Almost all ecosystems experience irreversible impacts. Species extinction rates are high in all regions. Forest fires escalate, and biodiversity strongly decreases, resulting in extensive losses to ecosystem services. These losses exacerbate poverty and reduce quality of life. Life for many indigenous and rural groups becomes untenable in their ancestral lands. The retreat of the West Antarctic ice sheets accelerates, leading to more rapid sea level rise. Several small island states give up hope of survival in their locations and look to an increasingly fragmented global community for refuge. Aggregate economic damages are substantial, owing to the combined effects of climate changes, political instability, and losses of ecosystem services the general health and well-being of people is substantially reduced compared to the conditions of 2020 and continues to worsen over the following decades.
0: The effects of global warming and the many ancillary risks that have come from it are well depicted in this chapter. What is one thing you can do to make a difference today and move us to a place of progress?
1: Becoming vegetarian is a growing trend today, with approximately 6 to 8 million adults in the United States who eat no meat, fish, or poultry, according to a Harris Interactive poll commissioned by the Vegetarian Resource Group. Harvard Health Publishing states that compared with meat eaters, vegetarians tend to consume less saturated fat and cholesterol, and more vitamins C and E, dietary fiber, folic acid, potassium magnesium, and phytochemicals or plant chemicals, such as carotenoids and flavonoids. As a result, they're likely to have lower total and LDL-bad cholesterol, lower blood pressure, and lower body mass index or BMI, all of which are associated with longevity and a reduced risk for many chronic diseases. Vegetarians may have a lower risk for heart attacks, and eating lots of fruits and vegetables can reduce the risk for certain cancers. And research also shows a reduced evidence of type 2 diabetes for those eating a predominantly plant-based diet. These are all great benefits for you and your overall health, and the contribution that you'll make to the environment will be great as well. On the website downtoearth.org, you can find the top 10 benefits for the environment by changing to a plant-based diet. Did you know that cows and sheep are responsible for 37% of the total methane generated? With methane emissions causing nearly half of the planet's human-induced warming, methane reduction must be a priority. A shift in your diet can lower greenhouse gas emissions quickly and is one of the fastest ways to reduce overall emissions. The turnover rate for most ruminant farm animals is one or two years, which means that decreases in meat consumption would result in an almost immediate drop in methane emissions. Unlike carbon dioxide, which can remain in the air for more than a century, methane cycles out of the atmosphere in just eight years. Therefore, Lower methane emissions translate to cooling of the earth quickly. Less farm animals means less methane. Estimates of the water required to produce one pound of beef average around 2,400 gallons, while growing a pound of wheat averages around 25 gallons of water. Pollution of our waterways is caused by animal waste, antibiotics, and hormones entering the water cycle alongside chemicals from tanneries, fertilizers, and the pesticides used to spray feed crops. Manure or wastewater-containing manure severely harms river and stream ecosystems. Farm animals produce about 130 times as much excrement as the entire human population of the United States. Since factory farms don't have sewage treatment systems as our cities and towns do for human waste, this concentrated slop ends up polluting our water, destroying our topsoil, and contaminating our air. The effects on humans of consuming low levels of these drugs during a lifetime is unknown but could be serious. Antibiotics given to farm animals include penicillin, erythromycin, and inorganic arsenic, the most toxic form of arsenic. 30% of the Earth's entire land surface, a mass of 70% of all agricultural land is used for rearing farmed animals. Livestock farming can lead to overgrazing causing soil erosion, desertification, and deforestation. Widespread cultivation of the land ruins wild animals' natural habitat, and forces millions of them to be evicted from their homes each year, causing long-term harm to our wildlife and ecosystems. By choosing a vegetarian diet today, you can dramatically reduce the amount of land, water, and oil resources that you consume and the amount of pollution they might otherwise cause.
0: Thank you for listening to our Environment Today podcast and we hope you found the information from Chapter 3 of the IPCC report useful.
1: Please stay tuned in two weeks to our continuation of the findings in this report, where we will cover Chapter 4 of the IPCC Special Report on Climate Change. We look forward to sharing more then on the environment today.